0: Right, well we'll see how far we get without me coughing. I'm really sorry. I'm especially sorry to those on the loop system. Because I imagine it's not very nice. So I will try. Okay, well we're looking at Corinthians and we're almost at the end. I'm quite excited. Finally, we will see the end of this book. Um, so Corinthians chapter 15. So you have a little look for that. Um, And it's 1 Corinthians, not Second. There's two lots of them. You'll find it in the New Testament towards the back. What's the page, Sarah? 1155. 1155 is the page. I've not got. If you need a big Bible with massive print, put your hands up and Amanda will give you one. No? All good to see us today. Okay, well, we're, looking, we're only going to look at the first 11 verses. And then next week, we're going to pick up some more. Because chapter, chapter 15 is pretty big. So we're going to break it up. So let's read the first bit. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, "'Otherwise you will have believed in vain. "'For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, "'that Christ Jesus, for our sins, according to the Scriptures, "'that he was buried, that he was raised, "'and on the third day, according to the Scriptures, "'and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. "'After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers "'at the same time, most of whom are still living.'" though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me. Was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Okay, so there's our passage for today. Um, the letter to the Corinthians, if you've been following it, Paul has tackled some quite sticky issues. Uh, so he's done incest. Class divisions, marriage problems, court cases, and uh, spirituality and church kind of services, conflicts. Um, he, I guess he's hardly had time to breathe. You can imagine him just like, oh, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing as he's writing. He's kind of apostle slash church troubleshooter, I'd say. He's kind of gone in to deal with these issues and difficulties, that he's heard that they're having, or that they've written to him and asked him about. And at the end of the letter, like the beginning, he wants to return to the foundational truth that makes this church possible at all. Without this, it isn't church. Okay? It's something else. He wants to go back to the gospel, the good news. So if we read in verse 1 just because you've only read it once, so you can read it again if you want. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So he's talking about they've taken their stand on something. He wants to start and end his letter with this. If they don't believe this anymore... If they've forgotten it or it's got sidelined in the kind of masses of issues that they've all got flying around this church. um, You know, this issue is greater than anything that he's touched on so far. Because what does it say in verse 2? By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the words I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. He wants them, verse 2, to hold firmly, okay? This is like cling to. Imagine your nails getting hold of it. You're going to cling to it. Imagine you're hanging over a massive precipice and you are clinging on to the rock face. That's what you're going to be doing with the gospel. You are not going to let go. Because if you let go from the massive precipice, well, we all know what's going to happen, don't we? So he wants them to cling to it, to grasp firmly the message that they were taught. Otherwise, everything they've stood for so far that they've taken their stand on, he says. Imagine some of the stuff could be family difficulties. They've had difficulties maybe with employment. We know that that was issues at that time. Um, The sacrifices generally that they've had to make. And also, not just the difficulties, but the blessings they've received as well, the prophecies they've received, healings, the speaking in tongues, all of this will have been in vain, utterly worthless. He says, basically, your services, everything you're about is utterly a waste of time, in vain, pointless, if you have forgotten the gospel. Okay, And that's true for us, isn't it? By this gospel, verse 2, you are saved. Now, it, you know, we all nod, don't we? But it's not hard to see how these people living their lives have started to lose sight of what matters. I think we tend to live, don't we, so much in the immediate. It's hard for us. We're responding to current challenges, what's going on, this has happened, now I must do this, and this has happened, and now I must do this. And we get really wrapped up in maybe some things that aren't so important. They're not life-threatening. Because if you forget the gospel, now that is life-threatening. The Corinthians have argued, haven't they, in a church, over church issues. They've argued maybe over styles of worship. They've argued over the use of gifts. They've argued over which speakers they think are best. They've argued over cultural issues outside the church, uh, where appropriate for them to socialise in the evening, what they're morally allowed to do with the opposite sex, and even what they're allowed to eat and drink. And all these are important. Paul's dealt with each one of them, hasn't he? There's not one that he skipped over and said, oh, it's not worth talking about that. But here, he says, these are nothing if you're not clinging, holding on to the gospel. If they lose sight of what makes them church, it's all a waste of time. And as we learned in previous weeks, this church, not in an isolated bubble, are they? They're living in a vibrant culture, it's very intellectual, there's games going on, it's full of festivals. It's a great kind of cosmopolitan, flamboyant place to live. And it's no wonder that the cultures around them have influenced what they think about these issues in the church. So when we come to this issue, the gospel... Well, it's easy to see equally how they're being influenced in what they think about it by the culture around them. But the truth is, isn't it, that in whatever culture we find ourselves in, the good news, the core beliefs, are going to be questioned. They're going to be attacked. They're going to be ridiculed. Let's look at the core beliefs that... Paul says here is the gospel, the good news. Verse three, that Christ died for our sins. We've been looking at this, haven't we? Verse four, that he was buried. That is, he died. He was dead. Verse five, that he appeared. That is, he rose from the dead. Now these these key points, the gospel. Are what we often struggle with. Our culture is very strong around us and we struggle because, let's face it, sometimes it fa- sounds a little bit crazy. But what does Paul say earlier? Now, if you want to, you can look at chapter 1, verse 28. That's not the right one. <laughs> Wait. Oh, sorry. Twenty-five. <laughs> Full of. Um... I think it's all of that section. Sorry. You can look at verse eighteen in a minute. <laughs> I do apologise. Okay. The message of the cross is a stumbling block to the religious. That is something, uh, what's he saying here? That it's quite impossible for the religious. They've got their own idea of God, and it's hard for them to get their head around it. And for the intellectuals, it's foolishness. We've got lots about that, for the foolishness is God and is wise. We've got verse 20, has not God made the foolishness the wisdom of the word? Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. All that first section, chapter 1, he talks about this, how it seems like it's foolish or it's silly to do or it's impossible for people to understand it. He gives them two camps. The religious, they find it difficult to understand because they've got their own idea of what God is like and what he would do. And the intellectuals, they find it hard to understand because they say this doesn't make any sense. But, despite this, it's not something that we can make up is it let's look paul says for what i received i passed on to you go back to verse 15 no, chapter 15 verse 3 for what i received i passed on to you the gospel sometimes sounds a little bit odd a little bit crazy a little bit nuts if you're if you're you know, into academia and things like that, people think, mm, this is a bit crazy. If you've got your own idea of God, you might think it's foolishness. But Paul says, I didn't make it up. For what I received, I passed on to you. Have you ever tried explaining the gospel to someone? Just someone saying, me, tell me the gospel. And, you, you know, they say, "Oh, what do you believe? And you start Okay, so you might say, well, I believe there's this man named Jesus. He lived 2,000 years ago. Um, I believe that he was God. Um, They're struggling straight away, aren't they? You go on. Um, I believe he came to earth to die for our sins. Mm -hmm. I believe that by the blood we've received forgiveness from God and we'll have eternal life. It just sounds so strange to us, doesn't it? In our culture, this seems really quite weird to believe this. But what did Paul say in chapter 1, verse 18? He said, But for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. And this message might seem utterly foolishness. It might seem something a simpleton might believe. But it is, nonetheless, the power of God. That's not to say that um, someone can't understand it. You can study the scriptures. You can say, oh, I see this, this, this. This is what happened. Sacrifice, atonement. Yeah, I understand all that. But to truly understand it, to get it, it's the power of God, isn't it? We know that to be true, that God has put his spirit in us and enabled us to see the truth. And the Corinthians at the time, perhaps to try and fit in with the culture around them, seemed to be a little bit tempted to sideline this bit of the gospel. In a culture that honoured thinkers, um, it must have been a little bit tempting. But what does Paul say in verse 3? He says, For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. At the very first opportunity that he had, before anything else, Paul passed this on. He said, I didn't develop this thinking over time. It wasn't something I came up with, a new worldview that maybe will change as I learn something new or as I become more clever or as someone points something out to me and I say, oh yeah, sorry, I didn't realize that, so obviously it must mean this. No, this is unchanging. This is something that he received and he passed on as first importance. And we too might be tempted to downplay the gospel a bit, to water it down. We might want to focus on Jesus as healer or Jesus who loved people who was hated by others. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, is it? But when we subtly start to focus on those things... To make it more more palatable maybe. We're missing the most important thing that we are to cling on to. Remember that precipice? We've got to cling on to it. We don't want to miss telling people about the cross. However maybe foolish it might sound to them. However how silly it might be received. Or however much we might be ridiculed. This is the power of God. And after all, in a culture that we live in, where maybe God no longer seems to exist, well, not in a personal way, where sin is used for something that maybe is a little bit naughty, where animal sacrifice, well, what's that about? That's something very primitive. We might be tempted to make our gospel a bit more palatable. But Paul challenges them here to remember the gospel, to cling, to grip to it. If we don't remember that we're forgiven, we're going to struggle to forgive. If we don't remember that Jesus rose from the dead and that there's a life beyond this and it's not just wishy-washy or something that we can grasp, but it's something we can grab onto that's real, then Jesus will be there. Then we haven't got a hope to give to people. And later on, next week, we'll we'll read how Paul says, if you don't believe this, You're to be pitied beyond all men. Now, Easter was a great time to remember the gospel, wasn't it? In all its foolishness, all its power. And I remember um, sitting down to write the Good Friday talk and just struggling, well, how do I begin in this culture to explain it? You know, how do I communicate this? But as Paul found however hard we wrestle with it to explain it, and it's certainly right that we do, we need to just tell it as it is. Sometimes our message, as he says, seems foolishness. But at the same time, it's amazing, it's liberating, it's transforming, and we know that to be true. The gospel makes sense of what we know desperately deep down, and we try to ignore That there is a God who loves us. There is a God who is there, who is real, who communicates with us. That can influence us, that can change us, that can forgive us, that can give life meaning. And Jesus is this God. He did what was unimaginable. He died a horrendous death. He took the punishment that we deserved, that was the rightful anger of God towards the mess of this world. And we only have to read the newspaper or look at the echo or open our front door to see how much evil this is in the world. And where would we be without a God who is rightfully angry at this sin? And yet we have a God who dealt with this within himself, who took it on and took that punishment this unbelievable love this love beyond any imagination that can take the most despicable of all human beings and say i love you and he can take us too we just come to him if we just admit what we have done we have not lived how he wanted us to live We have not done what he desired in words and in thoughts and in actions and in deeds. We know that to be true. We're not perfect. If we come to him and we accept what he's done on the cross for us, he will accept us into this loving relationship. And not just for now, but forever You know, death for the Christian is no longer wishy-washy. Oh, go into the light and it's another place. No. It is eternity with God, real and tangible with the God who created us. It's not eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Actually, tomorrow we live. We live with the God who made us. And standing for this gospel, I've talked a lot about foolishness, and sounding silly, is not just blind faith. Paul reminds them that Jesus died according to the scriptures. Verse 3 at the end, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There are literally hundreds of references to the coming of Jesus. Where he would be born, who he would be born to, how he would speak, prophecies detailing his family, his origin, his birth, the signs, the wonders, what he would teach. And of course, hundreds of specific prophecies about how he would die, written thousands of years before There's just so many of them. How he would come in, that he would be hated, that he would be betrayed, that he would be betrayed by a friend. The price of the betrayal would be 30 pieces of silver. It's pretty specific. The betrayal money would be cast on the floor in the temple. Very specific. More specific, on the temple, that the betrayal will be used to buy a potter's field. I mean, how specific can you get Yes, it can be foolishness, but it is not. It is the power of God. And we have literally hundreds of details of how Jesus would live and how he would die and that he would raise again. And further on this, Paul says, if you don't believe that, check out the 500 people, some, many of whom are still living. Go and ask them. They have seen him. And I've seen him. Let's read verse 5. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. Now, that abnormally born, some people say it was an insult given to him by people who listened to him. But as I thought about this, I thought the word itself means miscarriage, to have a miscarriage. He's saying, I deserve to die, but the grace of God has made me alive. And he goes on and he gives his testimony in verse 9 following. For I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we believe, and this is what we preach." Paul says, I know I simply don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything from Jesus. And anything I've given him was because of the grace that he gave to me. And this is what I preach. And this is what you believed. Just as we come to respond now, we're going to sing um, some songs and the band come up. But I want you to think about your story. Paul says, remember what you first heard. What was it you first believed? What was it that brought you to Jesus? Are there parts of the gospel, maybe, that you struggle with today? You've stopped maybe thinking about them because they seem a little bit weird. Or have you just simply drifted away from them? We're going to have an opportunity to respond um, coming back to Jesus. And uh, I'm going to go wild because um, I had this made-for-messy church, and it was just a chance for the children to um, put their names on the cross uh, to say that Jesus died for them. Well, I thought, wildly enough, as the guys had made it, that we could do the same. I know, you've got to get out your seat. John made you do it the other week. Um, so there's a little thing you can tie on. There's more if you want it. There's pens. You can write your name on. And just use it as an act of worship, really. To just come and say, you know, Jesus, this gospel is for me. I believe you died for me, my sins. I believe that you, you were risen again. I believe that there is a heaven that I am going to and there is a hope. Maybe right now you're just doing church. Um, maybe it doesn't motivate you. Well, why not come and say, Jesus, give me your spirit. I want to... See the gospel afresh. I want to taste you once more. Perhaps you've stopped sharing the gospel because it does sound a little bit crazy. Let's come now and ask for boldness because this is the power of God. Just come, just whatever you know, whatever prayer you're going to pray this morning, why not come and just symbolically show Jesus. Look, I'm willing to get on my seat, so I think I'm willing to maybe share your gospel.